What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian and Ozzy podcast. This week, we are back for the last pay-per-view of 2021 UFC 269 headline by Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier going down. Huge 15-fight card, back-to-back weeks. We're back with another podcast. How are we doing this week, Ozzy? Uh, you know, for me, I definitely say uh, this week I've been watching just yeah, like you said, 15 fight uh, fight card, just so much MMA uh, between that, uh, this continuous, you know, week over week. Uh, I've got a friend of mine who uh, who's fighting this week who I've been doing some uh, some scouting for, too. So, you know, and then coming off a little bit of a rough week overall, uh, first one in a while. Uh, so it was probably due for it. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward a little bit to to this break that we have coming up. But uh, but, you know, pay-per-view cards are always, you know, something to look forward to. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for I've always enjoy the lightweight division so uh, i like that that's uh you know finishing off the pay-per-view slate this year yeah just a brief recap of last week i lost uh two units in official track bets i thought we had a lot of you know confident leans before the fight um you know i had almost 10 units wrist in action it just didn't really work out a few of our dogs didn't really come through for us um but it was still you know good fight card still i think six dogs won obviously the greatest of all time jose aldo turned back the clock once again putting in another great performance so it was still a good card even though you know the best didn't go our way and we're gonna you know pick up the pieces and move on this week uh solid 15 fights um tough fight to to bet from a money line perspective um but i'm sure we'll still find some bets that we like and you know in terms of quality fights i mean from muñoz cruz up i mean we have uh six incredible fights in a row uh you know not in counting uh nunez versus Pena, but i mean there's some really really good fights in this card and it's gonna be fun to break these down and yeah. any other thoughts before you want to get started well ozzy's got a new microphone so let us know how you think that sounds in the comments yeah, yeah hopefully, hopefully it sounds good uh yeah and just just for me just always you know staying accountable was uh down just over uh seven units last week i think uh you know the the biggest regret is mickey gall uh i tried guys i tried to reach um you know people uh, around him to maybe suggest uh, a grappling based game plan but you know didn't didn't work out and uh, just a bad approach, I think, for him overall there. And then I think on the prop side of things, just got a little bit burned. Um, but yeah, overall this week, uh, I think, you know, some of the stuff uh, has been pretty interesting with, you know, that that Dominic Cruz, D.C. Uh, little spat. Uh, overall, I know I've kind of told you uh, a bit of, you know, how I think about the pairings and, you know, the commentators. And I think it kind of permeates into a lot of other aspects of, you know, people in the forefront, you know, taking credit or being the face of something when, you know, maybe not uh, putting in as much time, uh, you know, accountability, like Dominic Cruz was saying. And, um, yeah, and just a, 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 some, you know, incongruent kind of stuff, you know, like that, uh, you know, you have had all the things with like DraftKings uh, this week, the CEO saying they don't want winners, you know, and things like that. So kind of just trying to move everything, I, I think, a little bit behind the curtain where, you know, the people that are really, you know, doing, uh, you know, putting in the work are either not getting the uh, the recognition or they're kind of, you know, they're they push push uh, up to the top you know, people that are, whether it be good looking, whatever it is. Um, so I think, you know, how betting and, you know, all these things and content is, uh, is, is going is in that way and fashion. I think, uh, you know, people or, you know, consumers need to, and us as well, everyone needs to always, you know, try and push, push to the forefront, uh, you know, the doers and, uh, you know, hold yourself accountable overall always because uh, the results uh, definitely do matter. Yeah, a lot going on this week in the world of, you know, MMA drama, Twitter stuff, uh, sports betting stuff. Maybe we'll have to do like a recap podcast at the end of the year, Ozzy. 
Well, uh, maybe, let, yeah. may, if people are interested in hearing the, you know, so maybe some wrap up thoughts and that, that could be a good idea for a brief uh, little, a little conclusion to the year. Um, yeah, but let's let's get into this card. I don't want to keep people too long. Uh, obviously, since we uh we have these fifteen fights, uh, but uh, yeah, let's take it away from here. Yeah, we'll try to keep a few of these prelims on the brief side, and you know, save the the heavy analysis for the good fight. So, starting things off, uh, women's flyweight division, you have Jillian Robertson minus four hundred, Priscilla Cachoeira plus three hundred. Um, you know, extremely binary fight. I think everyone knows striker versus grappler matchup. Um, Robertson, obviously, the much more functional fighter, better uh, resume. And she actually does have a pretty decent top game, one of the better women's grapplers. And Cachoeira has been taken down, put on her back lots and lots of times, looks really bad off of her back. And Gina Mazzani was getting her down really easy with those takedowns. And Robertson should do the same, but the difference is Robertson actually has a much better top game. She can pass guard, land ground and pound, go for submissions, and she should really be able to find the finish or win the 30-27 decision. I think Robertson can win uh, TKO sub or decision so it's kind of tricky to play things from a prop perspective the under is at minus 150 here extremely rare to see a women's under that uh you know widely priced but it's probably on the accurate side i think a finish here is extremely likely um and i'll pass this one over to ozzy now yeah so uh, you know i think uh you know i echo a lot of those sentiments uh that you put out there uh you know Catchwera, she basically has hacked or not hacked her she just fights uh, to her strengths where uh she knows she could take a, a punch and she just kind of keeps her chin in the air wings you know hooks uh from both sides and looks uh, to lay damage out there uh jillian has some of that kind of like timid energy sometimes uh if the fight does get a little bit grimy and you are hitting her but she has like you know she she's able to hit some of these angles on like single legs and you know kind of come around you know tap you know ankle pick a, a you know uh like the backside leg and you know be able to consolidate position on top so i think that's probably what's going to happen here she's gonna you know wrap up a single get catch wear down out hustler her especially in the first like five minutes and get a few uh few good spots and i would favor her to fin uh, find a submission here at some point or i could see some you know ground and pound uh you know from like a mounted position after Kichwara has kind of tired herself out a little bit, but I can't invest on either side, you know, on either side or take the under here uh, because, you know, just like it, it's, it's a fight between two girls that they could, I, I guess maybe like cancel each other out where, you know, Kachwara is maybe like trying to hold the center and not throw as much. So Jillian can, uh, you know, hit, hit some of these takedowns, but, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely favor Jillian here for sure. Last thing I'll say is, as goofy as it sounds, Robertson minus 400 is probably value. I cap her closer to 86%. So you want to combine Robertson minus 400 with Cachoeira knockout plus 800? I think that's a guaranteed way to make money for a, a, a real real stupid bet. Don't but, do yeah. that. Don't do that. No, no, no. We'll get, we'll get the man started <laughs> with the win. Um, so move, moving things along, men's bantamweight division, pretty fun fight here. We got Randy Costa minus 170 taking on Tony Kelly plus 145. Uh, you know, battle of the anti-vaxxers here. This should be an interesting matchup. You can start this one off, Ozzy. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Kelly's coming back. I think he had a, a somewhat of a major surgery that he's coming back from. Uh, I know he's with Andrea Lee now, so I think because of that, his training uh, situation might might have been a, a bit different here. We haven't, For sure, you know, for sure we, better. Yeah. I mean, if you're <laughs> yeah. training with Andrea Lee, you are automatically level up. 
Yeah, so they, uh, I think uh, some a wave of money a bit has been coming in on the Tony Kelly side. I understand it. I think there, uh, a spot that I'm uh, looking at a little bit more is the over here, just because even though Tony Kelly did uh, get stunned a little bit by Kai Kamaka, who is not known as a as a power striker, he he like he does have some tools to slow fight down a bit. I do think he has a grappling advantage over Randy Costa, um, and I think Costa after losing that fight to Yanez, and you know, I mean, both of his losses. In the UFC were basically him tiring out a bit, and especially that Yana's uh, fight. I I would imagine he comes out here a little bit more uh, reserved and conserved. Not that reserved, uh, because it is Randy Costa at the end of the day, but just not looking to put out like 100 or 120 strikes like he did in that uh, Yana's fight. And uh, Kelly does, you know, is a, a pretty tall fighter as well. So I, I think that the jab of Costa won't uh, won't be landing as much. And for as good as uh, Giannis is, he he is uh, okay with getting hit a bit too much early on. And I think that uh, that Kelly knows uh, Costa slows down. I think he will uh, look to neutralize that pace a bit. So I think at that uh, minus one thirty number, the over could be a good spot. I would assume we we could probably see some clinching here from the Tony Kelly side, uh, and you know to drag this fight out and i mean i was considering a play on tony kelly if that line at like plus 170 would hold but when when once you get under that plus 150 number i'm not as enthused because i just not sure his uh his chin is gonna hold up and that that injury that i mentioned uh plays plays a role here but i think it's something i still will consider uh, i'll look into it but i i do like the over here uh at that uh short price for uh two bantamweights yeah, I think the formula for Benton Costa fights is just, you know, wait a few minutes and look to live bet against him because the guy does start extremely fast. He is, you know, pretty almost entirely offensive minded and, you know, not much of a grappler, not much defense coming back um, on his on his wind. So he's going to probably outstrike Tony Kelly here for the first few minutes. He's got those head kicks that he spams. He's got that great jab. And Kelly's probably going to, you know, feel the speed, feel the power for a little bit. But if Kelly is still standing and in the fight after three or four minutes, I mean, Costa has, you know, consistently slowed down past that four or five minute mark, only been in round two once, I think, and he lost that fight. So, I mean, it's it's clear as day that this guy doesn't have proven cardio. And Tony Kelly uh, took that Kai Kamaka fight on short notice up a weight class and was able to build as that fight went on. He got hit early on, like Ozzy said, was able to adapt and make rounds two and three really, really close there between Kamaka. So. Uh, I think that's a, a great sign for this fight. If he can withstand that early storm from Costa, there's a great chance he wins round two and three, possibly finds a finish here. Not so sure I'm interested in the over-under just because Costa's fights are just, you know, they are constantly at under-pacing. Uh, the guy just only knows one speed, so uh, it, it is a good chance that this fight finishes under that, but I hope it does, and I hope it goes over because that, I think, is better for Kelly. And I think just look to live bet Tony Kelly here. He should be plus two, 300 after a few minutes, and he's got a real good chance to win the fight later. Should be definitely the better grappler and uh, you know has some good uh, clinch offense as well, and I really think he could take over rounds two and three years. So I'll pick Kelly straight up. Uh, and I just think you should pass on the pre-fight live bet and wait for the live bet. Excuse me. Yeah. So that's yeah. Move. Go ahead. Yeah, and I'll I'll say uh, you know a uh, Costa fight has never gone over one and a half rounds. So if you like a good sweaty bet, though, you know may, uh, uh, try that out. And uh, eventually, you have to kind of see this guy in in a later fight. And just because his opponents have to adapt and you know try to bring that out of him. But uh, but yeah, definitely a sweaty play for sure. Pretty pretty fun matchup though. I can't imagine that one being boring. 
Um, moving along yeah. to the featherweight division, we have uh, Ryan Hall mm-hmm. as the minus 200 favorite. Derek Minner plus 170. And I think right off the bat, I'll say that, that Hall at minus 200 just doesn't make much sense to me. Um, you know, the guy's game is well known. He he keeps distance on the feet, throws a lot of spinning kicks and long rangey kicks, uh, kind of karate style. And then he's constantly, you know, flopping to, to his back for the guard pulls for the leg locks. And when he has, you know, an, an opponent who knows what the game plan is, who is athletic enough to avoid uh, some of those, you know, kind of telegraphed entries to the leg locks like Taporia. Taporia could make it look easy. Just, you know, pass that guard easily, land a few uh, hammer fists, and Hall's chin didn't really uh, didn't really withstand that too much there. So um, I think that uh, something similar could happen here. Obviously, Derek Minner, a very, you know, unreliable fighter, typically gasses out if he can't get the win early on. Um, and it's kind of known for, you know, diving his way into submissions. The Gilbert Burns or Herbert Burns fight, excuse me, uh, was you know doing well early in that fight and dove right into a triangle choke there. Uh, and something could happen along the lines here where he's doing well in the fight, avoiding the submission, but then just gets tangled up in the, that leg lock exchange. Um, but the striking advantage, I think, goes to Minner. I think uh, Minner could pot- potentially get some top position time here. And, you know, if he's able to avoid that leg lock, he can get on top. He lands good ground to pound. You saw that versus Darren Elkins. He almost TKO'd Darren Elkins in round one. You know, Darren Elkins is pretty much impossible to knock out. But, I mean, he was on top, landing good ground and pound uh, from good positions there. And if he gets in those same positions against Hall, I think Hall could, you know, shell up and and not really want to fight anymore. So, minus 200 for a guy who likes, you know, uh, pulling guard and going for leg locks, I just don't think is the move. It's just a matter of do you want to trust the bet on Minner? This is not a smart, trustworthy guy. Um, so, you know, putting your money on him is a risky endeavor. But, uh, you know, maybe Ozzy can shed some light in the, some of the more. I'll tell uh, you, you do, you, do not, you do not want to invest in Derek Minner, okay? Um, you know, Derek Minner had, uh, had a few of those UFC wins, uh, the TJ Laramie fight and a Charles Rosa fight. I mean, in the Charles Rosa fight, at the end of the first round, you see – uh, Charles Rosa put him in a leg entanglement, and I'll tell you, Derek Minner did all the wrong moves. Uh, for a guy with 22 submission victories, uh, it's I don't I'm not gonna say perplexing because you know there's just some guys that they just never really mess around with the leg locks and the heel hooks and all those things. But if uh, a similar position to that happens uh, against Ryan Hall, I would assume he snaps uh, Derek's uh, leg. I mean, Derek Minner literally put himself in a, what a position would be a leg lace, where all you would have to do is scoop up that other foot and i mean e- easily ripped the guy's leg off i can't believe charles rosa was not able to do that um and overall d- just the thing is here you know hall typically he he, he doesn't have as much of the offensive grappling that uh, that you want to see but i mean i don't think Derek Minner overall in terms of defensive grappling is very good in terms of uh you know keeping away from takedowns you know uh, uh gray maynard darren elkins uh Taporia, even if you go back to his Saul Rogers fight, these are all guys that have much better defensive wrestling that are much stronger. A lot of some of these guys are former lightweight, or all, almost all those guys were former lightweights, except for Taporia. Uh, and it forces Hall to kind of, you know, do some unorthodox, the, or, uh, the unorthodox stuff that you see. Um, but overall, I think that he's going to be able to, to throw the kicks here uh, easily uh, at Derek Minner. And just Derek Minner, he wins fights grappling. So he's going to have, like, I don't. I don't think it, he's going to be able to keep this on the feet or have the desire to uh, overall. So I think they will tangle up, whether it be in the clinch uh, or or one of these guys shooting a takedown. And eventually, Ryan Hall is going to find his way either to Darren Elk, uh, Derek Minner's back 
uh, to his leg or maybe even take the neck and then uh, c- continue to transition from there. But I'd just be surprised if he lost to Derek Minner. I understand. Obviously, I, I don't think I would want to bet him here at minus 200. But if more Derek Minner money does come in, uh, maybe it'd be worth it to, to consider in some way. Uh, but, you know, right now as a straight wager, you know, laying two to one obviously is not probably the best just because uh, Hall has shown that he just tires out a little bit as well. But the thing with Derek Minner is that I just don't think he's going to really want to tangle all that much with him. And I think that Ryan Hall will be able to keep this fight a little bit more on his script as opposed to t- the Taporia fight and, and some of those fights like that where he's he's running away a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, Derek Minner is going to put himself in some precarious situations. I think that Ryan Hall has been training and uh, been focused on getting you know getting back in the win column. He doesn't want to be known uh, as the guy that kind of got uh, memed there by uh, Taporia and had a had a bad uh, UFC run. So I think he'll, he'll get back uh, back there back in the winning column uh, with a with a submission over uh, Derek Minner. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see, you know, Minner diving into a submission here is pretty live. But if you like Hall, Hall by sub is plus 150. That's 40%. His money line is 66%. So I don't see how Hall wins a decision or knockout 26% of the time. I don't. I think that's too high. So I think if you like Hall, um, just take the sub prop. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd be surprised to see him like holding on to Artem, like how he did with Artem and holding on to the back and just kind of like eking the clock away. I think Derek Minner, if he ends up in a position like that, yeah, he'll 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 find a way uh, to give up the submission. But I did I did pull up that 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 video of uh, the Rosa leg lock and Minner did look he looked extremely nonchalant in those positions. I mean, Rosa didn't really know what he was doing too much either. But Minner, you know, definitely didn't show like urgency or, or respect or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's like, um, you don't know that you don't know that that guy doesn't know how to, uh, you know, sum- submit you from there. It's like, so but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing for for all you r- real ones out, out there. Uh, Alan Belcher was able to train leg locks for what, six, eight weeks and be able to defeat who small Harris. So if Minner really dedicates, you know, like his camp six eight weeks to learn yeah. how to defend James like Cross, yeah with Gina Mazzani and James Cross. they're not figuring I mean, that, that shit out dude that's true that's true <laughs> that's not that's not promising but if Alan Belcher can do it 15 years ago I believe Derek Minner can do it so um moving along to the flyweight division a really fun fight here uh from pay-per-view headliner title challenger to the the fight pass prelims we got Alex Perez taking on Matt Schnell and the odds are you know pretty wide here uh Perez minus 310, Matt Schnell plus 260. Uh, you can start this one yeah. off, Ozzy. Yeah, this is the third third time these guys are uh, supposed to fight. I don't know what's been going on with uh, Alex Perez. I heard that he was you know, looking to get back uh, from after that Figueredo loss very quickly, but here we are exactly over, uh, to, to, uh, over a year later. Um, and, you know, this is an interesting fight between uh, a, a guy who's kind of like a powerhouse at flyweight. Uh, you know, Perez is, you know, he comes in with uh, winging hooks. He, you know, chops the leg down, uh, has has a great squeeze uh, when, when he does get on the neck. That uh, submission over Jordan Espinosa was super impressive. Uh, and I think this guy, you know, I think he has some lapses at times overall. But has all the skills, I think, to be uh, ironclad, you know, lockdown top five guy. Uh, I, I would not be surprised at seeing him fight for the title again. And the thing with Matt Schnell is he's shown always that um, he, he, he doesn't respect uh, some of the offense coming back to him. Uh, he he's has fought both at 125 and 135. A number of his wins are those, you know, triangles from on bottom uh, that that I don't really see happening here. I do think that uh, Alex Perez is a much better grappler. Um, I think on the feet, 
although Matt Schnell has shown okay volume and you know and and the like, I think he does like that uh, Bonterin fight was just an awful performance by him. I really didn't understand it at all. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, uh, Schnell might have been psyched out a little bit because of you know the the antics with the weight or what happened there. And but that was like just an awful performance by him. It was close to his hometown. He's from Louisiana. That fight was in Houston. I don't know what was going on with him that night. Uh, and I think you know if you look back at that Tyson Nam fight, Tyson Nam just very one-dimensional striker doesn't really mix it up with light kicks. And Stan was able to move around him, hit hit nice angles there. I was on him there at you know like a near uh, even price. But uh, I, I think Perez here is able to get that light, light kick going. I think he's able to push Matt Chanel back. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him Matt Chanel land a big punch on Perez, you know, at some point, just because Perez is uh, very offensively centric as well, and Mashdown does have okay hands, but eventually, I do think that Perez takes Mashdown down. I think that he probably passes to some good positions and uh, and looks to get off some ground and pound, so I think he's going to have a, a very, very strong round one. Uh, hopefully, he paces himself, um, but I would favor him to get the finish here over Mashdown, just whether, whether it's on the feet, slamming that leg kick and then finding a big shot with uh, when Schnell looks to counter or on the ground with a submission or ground a pound. I think Perez is going to be all over him. He's got something to prove here. And Matt Schnell has shown that, uh, you know, he, he he just gets finished by these uh, elite guys. Yeah, I think um, the pr price is just about right here. I mean, maybe I would go closer to minus 250 for Perez. Um, the year layoff, um, the fact that um, his offense does, you know, pretty heavily rely around that leg kick. If that leg kick, uh, you know, isn't going well for him, um, then it could be a lot closer than that minus 300 price tag. But Machinel doesn't check leg kicks. Alex Perez, you know, smashed the legs of Juicy Formiga for a TKO in round one there. So it's pretty likely that Perez is going to be attacking those leg kicks here. And then Schnell does have a good submission arsenal. Um, he has multiple subs on his record. Um, so it could be a little dangerous for Perez to get takedowns here, uh, especially, you know, he did lose his last fight getting Armin Guillotine. Um, you know, we, we kind of talked shit about Kiesa a few weeks ago. I think this that was kind of a similar submission where uh, kind of a bad sign for Perez that he was able to get caught with that Armin Guillotine. Biggest fight of for his sure. career, first for round, sure. two and a half minutes. He got the takedown. And then, uh, you know, it's extremely rare to catch a guillotine from from that position, um, you know, and then he kind of went right into Figueredo's guard, just a very rookie yeah, mistake. You're, you're supposed to just I mean, if you're if that guy's in the commit to the guillotine there as he's spinning there, all you have to do is continue to like roll and flip under him and kind of just invert the position. And you should either be able to give up top position, go into a scramble or if you execute it right come out onto the other side if you can picture what i'm saying uh as the guy rolls and then you're on the clean side on top uh escaping that guillotine but yeah it definitely a, a a lapse in judgment there from him so that 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 shows a little bit of you know susceptibility to being subbed um and like i said chanel does have a good uh sub arsenal off of his back so i think that i'll, I'll definitely be passing on minus 310 money line you got to be thinking of some other way to play this um prez under plus un, un, is plus under is plus like 145 so it gives you exposure mm. to both guys there see plus you, 115 must have been getting but i mean everything's moving today but yeah I, I i did take that was another total that i did bet i did take a little bit oh yeah that guy hit today pretty pretty nicely but yeah i i did take a little bit of that um because i think it gives you exposure to both sides um and you know i think these guys are gonna bang for <laughs> especially early on 
That's true. Um, big cage could be a little bit of a detriment. I think if it was small cage, I would like that under a little more. But um, yeah, uh, I think that Perez should should cover here. You know, scrape by covering minus three hundred. Um, and I think he could possibly submit. So plus six fifty for that sub prop on FanDuel, not looking too bad. Um, that's going to move us along to the women's flyweight division, second fight in that division for this card. Uh, we have Miranda Maverick taking on Aaron Blanchfield. Maverick minus one thirty, Blanchfield plus one ten. Uh, two of the youngest fighters on the roster. Both of these women, you know, are interesting prospects. But we like uh, one of them a lot more than the other here. And uh, you know, that's Aaron Blanchfield. Um, a little bit disappointing that she didn't finish her last fight. It seemed like a lot of finishing opportunities in the round two, three versus Alpar, but still a good performance from um, Blanchfield nonetheless. Um, I think Maverick is the better striker, uh, you know, definitely a more technical background. Uh, she throws some decent punches from that southpaw stance. Uh, but Blanchfield's striking is no, you know, slouch either. I think that she's not as technical, but she can, you know, have some moments as well. Um, and, you know, Maverick, I think people were thinking that she's some world-class striker when she beat up Joe Chua. Then all of a sudden you saw her, you know, barely outstrike Jillian Roberts in the next fight. So um, also with that Jillian Robertson fight, I think round two of that fight is really all you need to see uh, to, to favor Aaron Blanchfield in this matchup because I did not like the way that, that Maverick was reacting to those grappling positions. She seemed a little bit um, inexperienced in the jiu-jitsu positions. Uh, almost got her back taken there, got taken down once or twice by Robertson. And I know I was saying earlier that Robertson is one of the better female grapplers, but I think that Blanchfield could really be on that same exact level. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, high level grappling from her. Obviously, Henzo, uh, Gracie Blackbelt is trained uh, with, the, you know, in the Danaher, the old Danaher gym um, for years now. And she can wrestle, she can pass guard, she knows how to land ground and pound, go for submissions. Finishing isn't her strong suit, but I really think she, she's the better overall grappler than Maverick. And I think that her game plan is going to be to get these takedowns. And I think that Maverick, I'm not sure she's really prepared to deal with these these takedowns, these back, atten- uh, back take attempts. You saw even Macy Barber get her down a few times. Um, and Maverick clearly won that fight against Macy Barber, but still allow the fight to be close enough to, for the judges to fuck it up, which is kind of just, you know, a bad sign for her career going forward, uh, I think. So I like Blanchfield here. I think she's got the grappling advantage, and I think there's a good chance that she, you know, outgrapples Maverick this entire fight. So I got Aaron at plus money, and uh, I think I'll pick her by decision. Yeah, so I, I also like Aaron here overall. Um, I, I was in, I was surprised actually when they uh, had you know both the fights they set up for Aaron. This the Barber fight and then the Maverick uh, fill in here. I, I don't know if it, that makes all that that much sense overall. But um, you know to to get into the style matchup here, you know Miranda Maverick at heart she is a grappler overall. I know she, you know she has some base in uh, Muay Thai, but overall I think she she wants to grapple. Um, I think that her defensive grappling is not the best. I do think she has some good takedowns uh, that that she uh, that she times okay. But once she does uh, get some of these takedowns, I, I just see a lot of these uh, a lot of flaws in there that um, I don't know if they're the uh, if they come from her, you know, not being a full time fighter for a while. She was like studying for a PhD and all those things. But when when she's in the clinch, a lot of times, like I said, with a lot of these other girls, uh, she gives up underhooks. Uh, she even looks to almost want to go for like a headlock takedown. If you saw that barber fight, uh, she's like reaching up for Macy's head uh, on a number of occasions there. Um, and I think that if she if you put her on the back foot in terms of whether it be uh, shoot, shooting in on her, uh, countering her, you know, if, if 
you look at uh, some of the stand-up that uh, Bar- uh, Miranda has to offer, she closes her eyes on ex- in exchanges. She throws naked leg kicks. Uh, she'll she'll throw um, you know she'll throw these telegraph body kicks that I think Aaron's gonna be able to take advantage of. Uh, you know, going to the Aaron Blanchfield side, she's fought a number of southpaws in her career, which I like. One of her main training partners, who is a I forget her name right now, but she uh, she she did very well in ADCC trials. She's an MMA fighter for herself in Invicta, and I do think she'll, we'll probably see her in the UFC eventually. Uh, is is a southpaw as well, um, and they've been you know really training on Aaron's wrestling. Uh, for this fight here so i think that uh aaron maybe you know i think she'll probably have a hard time a little bit of a hard time early on maverick is very strong she uh i think in the clinch she will be able to defend a bit but i think once aaron is able to or you know the strategy goes to getting in on the legs you know barber a lot of the takedowns that she was trying to do is go, go to the body lock and these things which not not the best approach i think against miranda i think when she goes to the legs uh maybe hits some of these uh single legs high crotches i think if these uh wrestling exchanges are extended i think aaron's uh aptitude and you know her her, her skill will begin to shine there and then once this is on the ground i think uh miranda will try and muscle out of some of these uh positions that aaron's gonna go uh to lock down on and she's just a much higher level uh, grappler than miranda even if she ends up on bottom i think that aaron is probably one of the only girls that will be able to put together uh some leg locks uh which is you don't really see them in the women's game overall uh i know for a fact that she is pretty good with that last time i told you that we we got a heel hook win so let's see if that uh is possible here and then on the feet i think the volume that aaron puts out the fact that she goes and is aggressive on the front foot will be to her benefit but overall it's a close fight it's been getting bet down which is a little bit disappointing uh and uh and yeah so i i, I like aaron here i think she'll be able to back up uh miranda uh in some points uh grow as the fight goes on and miranda does have a bit of a slower uh second and third rounds so as the fight goes on i think that uh aaron pulls away but miranda did change up her camp she's over it in in colorado now she's training full-time so I, i we could see improvements uh from her but uh but i like aaron here at this plus price still but a lot of the value is for sure getting sucked out now Aaron submission is like that barber, 1600, that barber fight. That barber fight was just a few months ago. You know, camp change. You know, it might be a little bit too much too soon for her to be taking this matchup. And she's the one taking the fight on short notice too. Maverick, uh, Aaron she's had much more bigger. Time. She cut. She cuts much more weight. Aaron, I know, does not cut that much weight. So, I think the pace that she comes at with and. This girl just throws hands, man. She's about this life, you know. She is, so I, I like Aaron here. I, I think New Jersey, she's a good New York girl. Yeah, we're 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 bigly behind uh, Aaron in this one. That's gonna move us along to middleweight division. Um, we got uh, one third of the way down the card, Ozzy. So two thirds left. We got Andre Muniz minus one forty five. Eric Anders plus one twenty five. You can start. I like this, this fight. I, I like this fight. I think this is a, this is a cool matchup here. Um, Eric Anders has been uh, just you know. Uh, um, like uh has not lived up as much to his uh potential i remember seeing him when he came in in that lyoto fight you know i, I thought that he, he was gonna uh, be pushed up a lot a lot more and a lot quicker um had to fight uh darren stewart two times uh funny enough and uh and yeah you know that last fight i thought he looked okay um overall but the, the thing with eric anders is for some reason in those last two fights i guess maybe it was the fight ready the change the fight ready 
he really wanted to grapple. I, I I found um you know he would let off punches you know in 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 some exchanges, but uh but he he was really kind of committed to to the grappling uh there. And I think here uh, coming up against Andre Muniz, um you know Muniz does not have great volume on the feet for sure. Um, but I think that Eric Anders wants to close distance overall. Um, you know, and I I. I I would assume maybe that game plan maybe could change here, but Andre Muniz, if you were giving him, uh, you know, grappling exchanges, I think that he is going to be able to uh, use the clinch uh, to his advantage more than Anders. Uh, Anders was able to kind of blanket Darren Stewart, but you know, some of these guys are like most of these guys are not as uh, versed in like getting angles and you know, getting finishing a body lock, getting to the back positioning, uh, dragging guys down as Andre Muniz is. Uh, and one opportunity that you give him, you know, he's going to take it and he's going to, uh, you know, capitalize on it. You saw on against Chakra how he jumped up on the back and then was able to transition to that arm bar with the arm under uh, the armpit there. That's a very, like, that's not a move that, one, a lot of guys go for, but two, that you get all the time, especially on an ADCC world champion like Jacare. So I think that eventually Andre Muniz is able to have some grappling success here, even though Eric Anders is obviously a beast. They're going to tell you he he played for Alabama. He was a, a star linebacker, all that stuff. But, I mean, the grappling is just, is is, is like a crazy different level here. Um, and I think that Eric Anders cardio as well if it is grappling uh intent like intense uh could wane a bit and any opportunity for muniz to capitalize will you know those opportunities will, will start adding up although muniz does not have the best cardio himself but some of those takedowns that he was able to time on Jacare, I, th I think that he's growing now as as his uh, career goes on. Uh, he's he just turned uh, thirty one, or he's thirty one now. So I think that he's able to time some takedowns here on Eric Anders, get this fight to the ground, uh, and you know, it, I think it'll be a close fight. But I do see him having some grappling success, and when he does, uh, a finish could come shortly after. Yeah, so this is a fight, you know, I'm kind of grateful. I watched some tape on and initially I was leaning towards Anders here. Um, but just rewatching one of his most recent fights kind of got me off of that. Um, seeing the fight against Darren Stewart, watching him get taken down with that uh outside body lock trip takedown in round one and kind of, you know, going to he looked like he was going to full guard there. There was only 30 seconds left <laughs> in the round, but instead of you know popping right back up to his feet. He was looking to go full guard and he was looking to lay on his back versus Darren Stewart, which is just a really bad sign. And if he's laying on his back versus Muniz, he's either going to spend the entire round on his back or he's going to possibly even get submitted in in one round of top position. So Anders should be the better striker here, but the guy is not a, a reliable volume guy. Uh, you know, there's multiple decisions. The Theodoro, the GM3, the Jocko fights all come to mind. Where he just his... never finds smart fight smart. Never. Yeah. And never. he always makes always makes him close, never puts a stamp on it. I mean, he nearly knocked out Darren Stewart in round one. And then he he illegally need him, right? Yeah. So he, he didn't need to. Yeah, he didn't need yeah. to at all. And he didn't I even mean, look that upset about it. Like, I don't know if he knew that he was gonna get DQ'd right after, but it looked like he kind of wanted a breather. So he like need him in the head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, weird. and then the re and the fucking ref, like the like I don't get it. Sometimes Peter Jan, Peter Jan knees uh DQ, but then uh <laughs> but then Anders intentionally DQ knees him in the head, no DQ, it's a no contest. Oh, so relax. He almost got... we, I had I had uh, Marnie on Aaron Anders there. We didn't want him DQ'd there. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, so but still, he he almost went from knocking the guy out in round one to yeah. almost getting disqualified, and then he had a rematch, and he he won twenty nine twenty eight. Like he won in like the closest fashion possible. He needed so to take down. Yeah. This is a guy who who doesn't win fights clearly, and he's also going to be facing uh, an elite jujitsu guy who can put him in bad spots on the ground and possibly finish the fight at any moment. Um, that that armbar was absolutely nasty. I mean, I I really wonder what Jock Ray was thinking there. I guess he just wasn't yeah. respecting. Muniz's jiu-jitsu because his arm was in an extremely compromising position. Mm-hmm. I guess Jacare had been grappling 30 years. He just didn't really react to it. But, I mean, Muniz took that thing home with him and snapped that arm right in half. You know, probably put an end to the career of Jacare in MMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if he's officially retired. So, I'm, I'm picking Muniz as well. Um, and hopefully some Andrew's money comes in. Maybe uh, Muniz gets yeah. to, like, minus 130. Yeah, I, I'd like that. Um, sticking with the middleweight division, we got uh, Bruno Silva as the minus 340 favorite taking on Jordan Wright plus 275. I mean, this guy at minus 340 is nuts. We were just betting him or betting against him with the, versus Andrew Sanchez. We got extremely close to winning that one, despite it being, you know, a pretty worrisome performance the entire time. Um, you know, it's possible that Andrew Sanchez is fading pretty heavily here, fight to fight, but I know Silva just doesn't really have much skill. This guy is a freak athlete, freak power, but in terms of like real MMA skill, I don't think there's much that we're dealing with. I mean, I've seen the guy get taken down by several opponents he's not a really good defensive grappler. He doesn't really know how to get off of his back. But when the guy gets on top, he throws vicious ground and pound and he has hammers for fists. But even his offensive striking, not that good. So the fact that he's minus 340 here is insane. I know Jordan Wright is kind of a a, a poorly perceived fighter by the market. You know, he's, you know, some rich white kid from California whose parents paid for his entire mm-hmm. uh, MMA training. So I, I think he gets a bit of a bad rep, but the dude does have, you know, some power. He does come out strong in round one. We saw Jamie Pickett get uh, outstruck for 15 minutes by Tavon Chukwe never went away. And then Jordan Wright ended that man in one minute with a flurry of, you know, knees and punches and uh, Travis Brown elbows. So Wright, you know, is, I'd say, the more skilled fighter. He's definitely not as athletic. He's not as durable. Um, but the guy has some good power of his own. He can throw clinch strikes. He he knows how to, you know, leverage a moment to find a finish. And before he got to the UFC, he was winning a lot of fights with his grappling and, and submitting people. They were low-level fighters, um, but still, I think that, you know, right maybe um, getting some top time here briefly, maybe possibly getting a, a back take is on the table here. So uh, I don't think you got to think too hard about this one. Just throw a small bet on right. I mean, a small half unit and, uh, you know, just see how it goes because Silva at over 75% is just whack. Um, so... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, interesting matchmaking here. I don't know if they're trying to build up Bruno Silva. I don't know if they hate Jordan Wright. I don't know. You know, just like I, I think kind of odd. Uh, you know, Bruno Silva has 27 fights overall. Um, you know, coming into UFC, I, I wasn't really sure how he he was going to stack up, and he he's had two take two straight TKOs. But after being grappled a bit in both of them, uh, as you saw. Um, you know, the, the, the thing with Bruno Silva, I think I'll try and keep it short is a lot of his fights. He bring he incites not a brawl, but he incites like a high variance fight. Uh, and he's dependent a little bit on his conditioning and the fact that he hits pretty hard. Uh, and you know, while that's good, uh, that also could lead to guys like Jordan Wright, who 
also are are pretty good uh, offensively, um, but maybe don't can't take as as good of a, a, a punch to be able to get be in a fight with you there and uh, and stun you and, and and get a knockout. So I kind of like Jordan right here as a value play uh, overall. I think that you know the the market is maybe valuing. Uh, or, or, or not giving credit to Jordan Wright, thinking that Bruno Silva just going to be able to get out, get him out of there uh, very, very quickly. But Jordan Wright, the 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 thing that uh, was advantageous to Buckley is he was coming forward, cutting off the the cage a bit more. Bruno Silva kind of just invites you to to move around him, and and then he's kind of just you know doing an all out berserker attack. I think Jordan Wright will try and pick at him early on, use use his kicks more than uh, getting in, in uh, pocket exchanges. And like you said, he does have a bit of an underrated grappling game that for sure, uh, maybe guys like Daniel Cormier won't be won't know uh, uh, right off the bat, and they'll think that you know the Brazilian guy uh, has a grappling advantage. So I think Jordan right here is able to be in this fight. I don't love you know don't love the the play, but like I said, little value play here uh, at this big number, almost three to one. You're getting here. Uh, on a guy who has pretty good conditioning, I think overall, even though you haven't seen him go to uh, scorecards much, and does have the ability to finish, whether it be on, on the feet, uh, at range, in the clinch, or uh, on the ground. And and don't bet him yet. Just wait right before the fight. I mean, last last card, the amount of favorites that were getting steamed was, right yeah. before the fight was just insane. Like every single fight was plus one sixty, and then fifteen minutes yeah. later, right before the fight, plus one eighty, plus one eighty five. I mean. People are just steaming those favorites. I think that might have had something to do with that main card, or I think maybe the whole prelims up all being on ESPN. I, I try. I've, I've been trying to keep track of that a little bit when uh, some of these fight, uh, fights are all on ESPN uh, and all in front of eyes. But and obviously this one's a pay per view. Um, sometimes you do see uh, you know late action a lot like that, which is uh, which is kind of interesting. And uh, it's gonna move us along. Last, you know okay fight then we move on to some elite fights back to back to back so uh we got heavyweight division augusto sakai taking on tides for yavasa near pick em, uh this one let's see we got tied to yavasa minus 115 mm -hmm. sakai minus 105 you start yeah. this one off right yeah yeah uh so heavyweight fight here two two uh very very big boys um you know augusto sakai coming off that fight against rosenstrike where just got ended right there at the end of that first round but that fight was was like a pick em fight as well uh i think i'm if I, if i'm being correct or, or a slight plus price on uh sakai um i think this is gonna be a fight that uh you know you'll you'll kind of know the pace early on how it's kind of gonna kind of go um i don't think that sakai has a very bad chin overall um i think that he is a little bit more of the 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 cleaner uh better striker overall tuivasa does bring some interesting speed to the heavyweight division. Uh, he knows that. He uses it well. He's been adding the kicks uh, to his game as well. But I don't trust his conditioning as much and, and his ability in kind of like a, a a tougher fight, let's just say. Um, you know, he, he is coming off of wins over um, Greg Hardy and uh, what's the other guy's name? Uh, Hunsucker. Hunsucker. Yeah, Hunsucker. So not the, not the best competition there. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, Can't forget Struve. Right. Yeah, and Shrove, Greg Hardy, like, kind of, he got hit with that punch, like, in his eye socket or something like that. He basically gave up. Like, he wasn't even really knocked out, to be honest with you. Like, he could have kept fighting. Uh, so, you know, Augusto Sakai, though, I think uh, pretty clean striker overall. Keeps his distance much better. I think uh, he, he won't let uh, Tuivasa walk him down. 
down as, as much. This isn't a big cage as well. So I think that Tuivasa is going to struggle a bit more with Sakai at range here. Um, so I'm leaning that uh, towards uh, possibly uh, betting Sakai here. I'm, I'm interested to see if I could get uh, maybe a plus number on him because, you know, I, I do see some people that like uh, Tuivasa, but I don't trust them nearly as much as I do Sakai. Sakai can get a little bit uh, timid or just not do as much like in that uh, uh, but uh, what's the what's that other aka aka guy he, he, uh, starts with the I or whatever um that fight, he didn't do as much as he could. It was like a split decision there. Um, I know people like the over here, but I, I I don't like paying juice for heavyweight overs. I saw you like it as well, and y you know your history with heavyweight over one and a half. So I don't know why I don't know why you're setting yourself up for that. Um, so I, I I'll, pass, I'll I'll swerve that one. I'll, I'll stay away from that one. And uh, but I do think that it is likely to go a little bit later because Sakai does keep his range a little bit more. He works into the fight more, and I do think that uh uh, uh to Vasa is going to respect uh, his striking a bit more than he did like uh, Greg Hardy's and Hunt Suckers. Yeah, so, I mean, looking at Sakai's last fight, on five times the line closed, the same is what it is now, but Rosenstrike was minus 115 instead of Tai yeah. Vasa. I mean, it wasn't a good performance from Sakai, but it's not like we learned a whole lot about him. He got hit with, you know, a combination at the end of the round, and he, he got knocked out stiff. So, I mean, we didn't learn a whole lot there, and now we're seeing Tai Vasa, the guy who is you know, just not a high level fighter at all. I mean, this guy is basically an Australian like bar fighter who has been, you know, training a little bit. Um, but obviously very likable personality. And I think that's why you're seeing, you know, this line be closer than it is. I think that, uh, you know, you're getting some fan fa fan favoritism in this line. And I think no Sakai boys, should, maybe Sakai, no Sakai should be closer to like minus one thirty. honestly. I mean, all the guys that Sakai has lost to Tuvasa would get smoked by him too. Um, Sakai had a, a pretty close fight with Ivanov that he was able to steal with a cage grab while, you know, Tuvasa was pretty cleanly beaten by Ivanov. Uh, both guys got robbery victories over, uh, Andrei Olovsky. And I just think Sakai is more functional. Um, it, it could be a, a swing fest, you know, uh, it could be the first guy that lands the calf kick is going to win the fight via knockout in round one. But I just think the way these two match up, it, it does seem like an over one and a half. It does seem like a goes the distance type of fight. So, uh, like, as he said, I have a bad record with these, but I'll, I'll pick this one to, uh, to go over one and a half anyway. And, you know, Sakai might honestly be worth a money line bet. Uh, so that's going to bring us to. The first elite fight on this card of many. Um, the fact that this is on the prelims is insane. Probably one of the highest level fights that ever take place on the UFC prelims. We got Pedro Munoz, slight favorite, minus 115. Dominic Cruz, minus 105 on the comeback. And they're giving Cruz a big step up. He came back, bounced back well against Casey Kenny in his last fight. You know, won that fight pretty clearly. Um was able to, you know, avoid the leg kicks in that fight, struggled really badly with the leg kicks against Henry Cejudo. I think part of what Cejudo's success there was kind of just catching uh, Cruz off guard with them. You know, Cejudo wasn't much of a, a leg kicker. He was actually the one getting his leg kicked by Marlon Marias a lot. And then, you know, kind of took a page out of his book and decided to start implementing them. And, you know, they were really effective against Cruz in that fight. Um and now he's got a leg kicker in front of him in Pedro Munoz, but he's more of a predictable leg kicker. I think Cruz will be a lot more prepared for them um, in terms of his game plan, his you know mentality going into this fight. And I think that his in and out movement, his switch and stances will, 
you know, help him avoid the leg kicks of Munoz. I don't think that Munoz is going to be smashed in the legs as easily as Cruz did. But the way that I saw Cruz initiating uh, the exchanges versus Casey Kenny, I really didn't like. You know, he's always got that in and out style where he's outside of range and then he comes in with, you know, those, you know, looping overhand punches at times. And, you know, he did previously have really good defense, really good reaction time, was a pretty good athlete for the uh, for MMA. But, you know, years off, not, not much activity, the injuries, you're seeing his defensive reaction, his speed not be the same as it is. And I thought the exchanges versus Casey Kenny were pretty reckless. Casey Kenny's not much of a hard hitter, so he was able to get away with a lot of the exchanges there. But Munoz, I think, is going to be a bit of a different animal. Munoz is going to be, you know, ripping the body with those left hooks. Um, coming upstairs with the, the punches uh, like he did versus Jimmy Rivera. And I think that Munoz is going to have a little more success than Casey Kenny did in those exchanges. And I'm going to be picking Pedro Munoz to edge a close decision here. Uh, another thing about that Cruz fight uh, versus Kenny, he was able to get some takedowns, some brief top time there. But Munoz, one of the you know most notoriously hard guys to hold down. He's got a nasty guillotine, good scramble game. So I don't think Cruz is going to be able to get much top time. And Cruz also not known as much of a hitter. Munoz known to be one of the most durable guys, uh, you know, ever in MMA. So I don't think the Cruz getting wrestling time or getting a knockout is extremely live here. So if Cruz wants to win, it's got to be by decision. And I just think that if you like Cruz, just take him plus 150 by decision. Um, I, I like Munoz no scorecards here. I was able to find that minus 150 on DraftKings. So I like that for a play. Um, so I'll be signing with Munoz here to, cool. to edge a close 29-28. Yeah, uh, awesome fight here. Uh, I love that it's picking price as well. You know, you have uh, people you know, very feel very strongly on both sides uh, for sure. Which you know, I can I can see definitely. You know, uh, I think Dominic Cruz traditionally against a guy like Pedro Munoz, style wise, in my opinion, I think is very good. It's a very good fight for uh, Dominic Cruz. I think the pace of this fight, just me uh, kind of just like uh, estimating out, is going to be. Cruz doing his thing, dancing around, moving a lot. And I think Pedro Munoz is going to be patient here because he feel, he he should feel, I, I would think, if I'm in his corner, that, hey, if this, when this guy gets close to you, you know, that's when you're chopping away. You're, you know, trying to catch him with overhand or for a big hook. Uh, and I think that uh, in the Casey Kenny fight, you saw once Casey Kenny was pursuing Dominic Cruz, he was kind of looking a little dumb. He was getting, you know, he was missing a lot uh, and, and kind of giving those opportunities for Cruz to hit those takedowns and, uh, and counter. Um, I think that some of those uh, exchanges that you mentioned that, you know, how he was opening up uh, was a little bit later in the fight, like when he was looking to score more. And, you know, I think he, he recognized that, hey, man, this is a close fight. I need to, you know, maybe take a little bit more risk uh, overall. And, you know, that that's the kind of fighter uh, Dominic Cruz is. He's extremely cerebral. He definitely fights for your money. Um, you know, he's come, He like you saw in that Cody fight, he knew he was down. He started up in the pace, putting himself in more danger. You saw in the uh, in the Cejudo, in the Cejudo fight after he got knocked out, he was upset that, you know, they called that fight off. Sorry. And and that it's all good. And you, um, I think that the, what you mentioned there, that he was surprised that those Henry Cejudo, Cejudo kicks, you got to remember Remember, that fight was after Dominic Cruz had taken that other, that second hiatus or the third hiatus. I don't even know how many uh, there have been now uh, in his career. So I think he was coming back a little slow. That was the first fight, you know, after COVID. So there was a lot of, you know, factors going into that fight. In, in terms of matchup here, I think that uh, he, uh, Cruz is going to be able to land on Pedro. Pedro just shells up uh, way too much, is pretty hittable there. 
Um, and I think that uh, Cruz will be able to get off two, three punch combinations on uh, on Pedro and, you know, hit hit out at a pivot or an angle uh, pretty much at will. Not at will, but, you know, pretty often uh, and be able to get away from the, those hooks and what's coming back from Pedro's side. Yes, Pedro is a, a great submission grappler. He has a, a, a excellent scrambles off his back or, you know, once he's going down. Uh, but Jimmy Rivera was able to get in on takedown on him. Pedro did use like his uh, leg lock entry to be able to get back up to his feet um but i don't really see the, the guillotine threat all those things you know i don't i don't think dominic cruz is getting caught in any of those things um this is the only fight that i have a bet on uh right now it was over two and a half it was at a crazy minus 170 number i took even i, I bet it up to minus 200 maybe even now maybe a hint of value still because i just don't see uh pedro really finishing cruz um cruz has shown the pretty good chin even when he's been connected with and although pedro ha is known for being a, a a good striker and strong it's usually uh, a nutritional kind of thing with pedro uh he you know like even cody was able to take you know a bunch of bombs from him uh but but uh but and you know frank he couldn't put away frankie edgar jose Aldo, you know the, he, he he it's just a little bit hard for him to do a one punch kind of knockout and i think cruz's legs uh and his movement and who he's training with he's getting a lot of reps with uh roman bravo young so you know i think cruz is coming back up and i think uh I, I've said this before, but I think this is going to be a trend that you're going to see maybe in MMA, not as pronounced as other sports, but these guys older a little bit, uh, you know, being able to fight their way back into, you know, maybe not title contention overall, but just be able to win some fights when people kind of like stamp them off, uh, just like the recovery and, you know, a lot of the things, you know, uh, medically that's going on, I think is allowing for, for these guys, will allow for these guys to fight a little bit later on into their career. And I think Dominic Cruz is a, a good, uh, a good rep representation of that. And I kind of like him here at this minus 105 number is trending towards, you know, even money or, uh, you know, and trending upwards as well. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely will have some of that uh, decision prop, like you said, and I'll pick Dominic Cruz here uh, to, to get, uh, to get a second win here and get back on a win streak. Nice. So we're disagreeing on this one. It'll be a uh, fun to see who's right and next week. Cruz, I think, has been using kicks more. So I think uh, you, you'll see some kicks here. I think he'll mix it up. I think you'll see a lot of new elements uh, from what I'm hearing from Dominic Cruz's game that he's going to mix in with his uh, normal movement and, you know, all those things. So, Hey, you once told me about Shane or uh, Chase Sherman, though, that, you know, once fighters hit a certain age, they can't improve. That's uh, like you know, a, a journey. Like, come on, man. Do you should <laughs> never even put those two guys in the same. Tom Cruise and Chase Sherman <laughs> are the you know pretty similar skill levels. All right, so uh, <laughs> moving on, featherweight division, another great prelim fight here. Josh Emmett coming off a year and a half layoff oh, almost at the minus one fifty price tag. Danny Gay coming back plus one thirty on a two fight losing streak for Danny Gay. No, 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 no. I made that. Oh, up. Yeah, yeah. He had, a, he, he had a. It was a very short fight. Not you shouldn't be to blame there. That that sec that that Gavin Tucker fight barely took place. Right. Um, so you're trying to start this one off. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, love this fight. You know, I'm a big fan of 145 division, right? That's the fight. That, that's uh, the, the weight class I used to uh, fight at. And I got out because, you know, you potentially would have to fight guys like Josh Emmett, um, where, uh, I mean, Josh Emmett, like you said, you know, one of the heaviest hitters you'll, you'll see, you know, under 155, uh, probably ever been in the UFC. I mean, the guy, once when he's on uh, and he's got that fire under him and he's healthy, just a very dangerous guy. I think a guy that could, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he could beat Volkanovski, but, you know, you could see him in the title picture in the top five to six uh fight here um you know and i think overall he just uh, a better fighter than danny gay danny gay's gotten uh his ufc career has been kind of more 
you know, him kind of taking taking damage and just being there always and, you know, being well-rounded overall. But, you know, that, that Chang Sung Jung fight was just a big red flag to me. Just overall with kind of how he approached that fight, um, you know, his grappling game, you know, first of all, I don't know how his wrestling was that weak when, you know, he's got all these Russians training at the gym. I don't know what's going on there. But he just didn't look the same to me as, you know, that fire that that, that I saw in that Calvin Cater fight even or, or the Edson Barboza fight for a fight that he won. Um, so just... Uh, matchup wise I think on the feet uh, Emmett here he his punches are just much sharper uh, he closes uh, uh, them off a lot of times with that deadly left hook you know he's got uh, great power uh, in both of his hands the only concern to me is that you know Ige probably is going to be chopping at that lead leg which is the leg that he you know completely tore apart 18 months ago um, but it, I think if Ige, uh, if uh, Emmett's even 80% of what he used to be I think that he's able to land on Ige. Ige is willing to be in that pocket and throw which is why people love him which is why um, he's a fan favorite um, you know he's a, a super gritty guy but it's been shown that these guys cannot take the punches that uh that josh emmett is putting out there uh so i think uh when they're in the pocket Emmett uh big advantage to emmett I think Emmett, if he wants to take uh, Ige down, if like Ige is pressuring him a lot and he wants to kind of mix it up a little bit, I think he should be able to take down Ige pretty easily. Uh, and then physically, you know, clinch wise, I think uh, uh, Emmett, you know, has the advantage where he should be able to push uh, Ige around more. But I am always concerned with like these big leg injuries, the conditioning angle of it. Ige does have very, very good uh, cardio, but I, I, I just favor. Um, Josh Emmett everywhere. I think if he's okay off this injury, he should be able to land that, uh, you know, land that jab at first, find his range, and then start bombing away at, with a guy who's willing to do it with you and probably thinks that, uh, you know, he could probably outpace Emmett, but I think it's going to go bad for him. Yeah, I'm thinking along the same lines. Uh, I mean, this line a week ago was uh, minus 225 Emmett plus 185 DGA, which probably was a bit wide. Um, but now I think the market may be doing a bit of an overcorrection here. I mean, he's basically gone from, what, 68% down to 60 I mean, that's a huge swing in the span of one week. Um, and it's I feel like a lot a lot of the analysis on this one is based around the M&E injury. And I think a lot of the EGA picks are, you know, thinking that, oh, you know, Emmett's going to be depleted, 36 years old, year and a half, major knee surgery. It's a very real possibility that he is, but I think you need to have a bit more of like uh, it's it's an assumption that he's that he's going to be uh, depleted or not the same fighter that he was, and I don't think that you can be um, making a bet based on that assumption at this point. I just don't think there's enough evidence to suggest it. I mean, if the motherfucker could fight for 14 and a half minutes with a torn ACL against a bad dude like Shane Burgos, uh, I mean, this guy clearly has a, an unbreakable will, insane toughness, and there's a really good chance that he is able to bounce back from this knee surgery uh, completely and be the same fighter that he was a year ago, possibly even better. Um, so, I do think that Emmett is is the better, more potent boxer here. Ige uh, definitely has a speed advantage, but I think the exchanges are not going to be going Ige's way. Uh, Emmett has scored knockdowns on all six of his most recent opponents, even in uh, you know like the fight that he lost against Stevens, he knocked him down in that fight. Um, and the dude yeah, just knocked him down, Josh Emmett. I don't think so. The dude, what do you mean? Oh, you're saying Ige has? Oh no, you no, said, excuse Emmett, me. I got it back up. I had yeah. it uh, opposite. My bad. Yeah, Ige um, gets dropped all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's I, I said that this week. You know, Ige I think could be on the fragile side, 
Um, and, you know, the dude definitely has, you know, incredible will and it, it comes back from being hurt. But we did see him hurt a few times, drop drop by like a left hook from Barbosa early on in that fight. So I think it's possible that, that um, Emmett does, you know, drop him in this fight. Uh, also, you got to think about the wrestling. Yeah, I think that uh, Emmett early on in his career was wrestling people, you know, out wrestled uh, Scott Holtzman in the back and forth dog fight back up at uh, lightweight. Um, and Josh Emmett hitting some takedowns here, getting some top time is possible. I think that Ige is a little bit better um, of an overall grappler. Um, you know, he has a black belt. I don't think that Emmett does. And we've seen Ige escape bottom position. We've seen him get top position. Um, you know, uh, I think Mursad Bektik kept him on his back for three or four minutes. Um, so it's possible that we could see Emmett get some top time here as well. So I think Emmett's got a bit more ways to win the fight. Uh, if Ige is winning, it's going to be his typical way of winning a hustling decision where he likely loses a round and comes back to win the fight. Um, you know, Ozzy likes to uh, mention in this about decision records. If you look at Ige's decision record, um, you know, he has lost both of his five round decisions. But then even the decisions that he's won, he he's dropped rounds to Jordan Griffin, to Kevin Aguilar. Um he had a split decision win over Bechtick and Barbosa. So his decisions and three round fights are extremely close. He's typically losing one of those rounds. So uh, I think that uh, Emmett is going to be the side here at minus 150. I think, like I said, the market could be doing a bit of an overcorrection here. So I like uh, I like Emmett by decision. Uh, that's going to take us to the main card. First fight in the main card, stellar pay-per-view main card here. Uh, starting things off in the Bantamweight division, we've got fan favorite Sean O'Malley. As a massive favorite, um, minus 300, taking on Holy on Piva, plus 250. Um, Piva coming off of that crazy comeback victory against Kyler Phillips. It likely should have been a draw, uh, but we got a little bit lucky with the, the, the uh, decision victory there. Um, but the line is pretty much the same, right? Kyler Phillips was near minus 300, uh, and Piva is pretty much the same against O'Malley. But I cannot stress enough that, that O'Malley is so, so unproven. I mean, the UFC will fool you with the marketing machine that this guy is some legit prospect. But I have yet to see anything, anything that thinks that Sean O'Malley has a chance in the top 15, especially at the Bantamweight division. I mean, his best win would be what? Thomas Almeida. Um, and Almeida in that fight threw an insanely little amount of punches. I mean, he was throwing five, seven, ten strikes around, just doing absolutely nothing versus Sean O'Malley. Uh, and that's his best win. Honestly, he's knocked out, uh, you know, Quinones and, and, uh, Eddie Wineland. These guys are just not impressive wins. And now he's fighting a really good fighter in Holy on Piva, who's been tested at flyweight, who got past his first test at Bantamweight, despite it being extremely difficult. Um, but getting back to that Kyler Phillips fight, sure. He got hit a lot early on in that fight. He got rocked several times, was nearly knocked out a few times, but the fact that he didn't get knocked out, the fact that he was able to compose himself, that he had the cardio to come back in rounds two and three, clearly shows that the guy is not fragile. He's not easy to knock out. And if you, even if you beat him within an inch of his life in round one, he can come back in round two and three and be right on your ass. I mean, there's a there's a good chance that uh, Piva lost round one 10-7 and then bounced back the next round winning 10-8 versus Piva. So um or versus phillips excuse me so um i just think that that you got to be putting a bet on piva here uh i think that even if he's going through some adversity early on eating some early punches uh i just think that we're dealing with a better skilled fighter and holy on piva i know he's just moved up to bantamweight he's going to be at a bit of a size 
disadvantage here versus O'Malley. But in terms of skill they've shown in the UFC cage, I am much, much more impressed with what I've seen from holding on Paiva. So um, I'd like Paiva to, to withstand the early storm here to make rounds two and three real close, maybe get some grappling top time. We saw him on top of uh, Kyler Phillips. He looked like a more than competent grappler. And um, I'm just not a believer in Sean O'Malley at all. Uh, I think minus 300 is nuts. What is his knockout line? I mean, it's probably plus 115. It's just insane. I mean, he Moutinho was a regional fighter brought in for slaughter. Um, and I saw that guy get hurt, get dropped several times in his regional fights. And it took O'Malley 200 punches to the head and 14 minutes to get this guy out of there. I mean, I'm not sold on O'Malley as a finisher. I don't think he's a great power puncher specifically. So uh, give me Pivy here. I mean, I'm picking him straight up. I like the Brazilian and I really hope he pulls us off. This is a this is a very interesting fight for me. Um, you know, just looking, you know, just to kick it off uh, at at the prop side of things. Sometimes I like to look at these, especially with a f fighter like Sean O'Malley, uh, who you know is billed as a knockout artist. Uh, obviously, has had uh, a number of those uh, finishes in the UFC. The total here is set at two and a half, a little juice to the under, but it's telling you, you know, they're telling you that this fight will at least go into the second round. I think it's like uh, you know minus three hundred, minus two fifty to start round two. And overall, Paiva, although he did run into a number of punches from Kyler Phillips, in those in-between moments, you know, when kind of they were just at range, like if you t remove the big moments, which is obviously hard to do and, you know, sounds uh, strange, um, you know, Paiva is in that fight overall. Um, you know, in the grappling, uh, he, he he's pretty solid, I think. Um, you know, obviously, I don't think that Sean O'Malley is going to be looking for takedowns here. But the thing with Paiva is now, without the weight cut down to 125, I think he's a bit, a bit more rejuvenated. I think his conditioning is very good. You know, you don't get take that kind of punishment in round one against Phillips and come back and do what you do in the next two rounds unless you've got elite conditioning, grinding every day uh, at uh, Alpha Male with those uh, with Uriah Faber and those guys. I think that they'll, they'll, they should probably be able to craft a good game plan for Paiva. You know, uh, obviously Sean O'Malley at range, I think, with his jab and that lead hand uh, and how he sets up his cross, probably he's going to be able to land on Paiva. But Paiva has shown a decent chin overall. I think that he will uh, target that lead leg of O'Malley's. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some clinching, uh, you know, and Paiva trying to push O'Malley back and keep him on the back foot um, and not be as, uh, you know, intimidated as guys like uh, Thomas Almeida and uh, whatever that other guy's name, the New England guy, uh, were uh, against O'Malley and really let him get going and, and, and growing, uh, you know, as the fight goes on. So Paiva, I think, is able to put O'Malley a little bit on the back foot, you know, maybe land some body shots and, you know, uh, uh, counters. And I think if these guys are slugging in the pocket, uh, you know, Paiva is, I think, much more durable overall. Um, I think that O'Malley probably won't like some of the heat coming back his way. But, I mean, I do see some sharp guys loving O'Malley. I don't really see it. I, I can't see how you can buy into this hype at a 75% win condition here um, when the fight, you know, could, is like 50-50 almost uh, to go the distance. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of lean Paiva here as well. I'm thinking this line maybe uh, continues to grow, though, because, I mean, people see a former flyweight, you know, a guy like Paiva, and they kind of write him off, uh, especially when they're thinking, oh, you know, O'Malley, he's picking his fights, the UFC, they just really, I mean, I don't really think the UFC cares all that much, to be honest, like, there's no way the UFC really thinks that Sean O'Malley's going to be a title, like, win a title. 
that'd be that'd be like extremely su surprising to me. But crazier things have happened. Uh, but but yeah, like you said, the, you know, the one time you saw O'Malley have any kind of adversity, you know, one time he hurt his leg against like uh, Sukinta, and the other time he got his face elbowed in by Marlon Vera. So I think adversity is coming here. We'll see what uh, O'Malley has uh, once it does come. But I do think that Piva is going to bring a fight here, and I do kind of like him here at this plus. I mean, I I, I want over plus 275, uh, and I think we'll get there. Uh, and yeah, O'Malley just does not check leg kicks at all. The guy has still not learned his lesson. Um, I mean, it's not really... Moutinho was still chopping away at his legs and just O'Malley doesn't respect the leg kicks. He he doesn't think it's an objective to check them. And if, you know, Piva targets that calf, I mean, we know very well uh, what can happen, uh, like the Vera fight. And uh, again, you might as well wait. The O'Malley money probably comes in. The par the parlays probably come in. Um, you know, looking at Piva's Instagram, 28,000 followers. Uh, O'Malley has 2 million. So, you know, we're clearly, dealing, you know, with it. We're clearly dealing with a different animal here. So hopefully we maybe even get up to plus 300 on Piva. Um, but that's going to move us on. Next fight uh, down to the flyweight division. We have... Uh, former champion Cody Garbrandt dropping down to flyweight, and he's coming in at the favorite price of minus 135. And Kai Car France is coming back at plus 115. Mm -hmm. Fun matchup. Interesting, interesting fight. You know, C Cody Garbrandt's been teasing this to move down to 125 for a long time. Uh, you know, I've always been super skeptical of the guy. You know, he does have some good skills. Uh, he's very, very quick, uh, has some power in those hands. But moving down to 125, obviously, his biggest attribute there, the speed that he brings, uh, is is kind of, you know, getting sucked out, is going away. Um, but he has fought a murderous row in the last five years, you know, between Dominic Cruz, Pedro, TJ, a son, you know, Sun South font. And, you know, people can look at Kai Kyle France and be like, ah, oh, you know, this guy does not, you know, is nowhere near, you know, any of those guys. But how they match up, I think how they're going to strike is... Uh, uh, Kai Car France is going to target that leg. There's no way Cody's leaving this fight without eating a, a number of calf kicks. And it's all going to be a number uh, 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 in regards to how healthy is Cody. Um, you know, he's always, you know, claimed, you know, the all these infections and COVID and kidneys. And this guy has a lot of things going on with him. He's divorced from his wife, just a lot of personal things, you know, going wrong. Oh, with he him. is. I didn't know about that. Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure they're divorced now. Um, and he's got and, a tattoo of her face on his thigh that must be hard to deal with. Well, at least she's hot. Uh, I hope that I hope she's, got a, a, she's got a twin sister. Maybe he's going to leave her for the twin. Maybe, maybe that'd be, that'd be, that'd be a nice plot twist, but you know, Cody just, uh, and now he's, you know, over with Mark or he's still with Mark Henry. I just think overall Kai Car France, although he's not, a, uh, he, he won't impress you all that much. Um, he's just very solid overall. I think how he, he exchanges in the pocket. He's a, a very classic striker. Um, I think he has, he's the kind of guy who can possibly, uh, frustrate Cody and get the rage Cody, you know, slinging overhands, uh, out again he has maybe shown a little bit of a soft chin but i think he's gonna be he's gonna stay behind his guard a little bit uh better i think he will push the pace of the fight early on see test cody's cardio see how he's uh feeling that flyweight hit that lead calf which i don't think cody's gonna be able to deal with very well and and we'll see uh you know how how the offense coming out of cody looks because i've always been skeptical of him as an elite fighter um i just think that you know if he could find the, the right punch on you he's good 
But in that Rob Font fight, which was only seven months ago, uh, he just looked so timid, never really tried to win the fight overall. He knew once he uh, had to start wrestling that it wasn't going to go well for him. And he kind of shelled up and didn't, you know, didn't perform uh, to the best of his ability. I think Kai Car France is uh, is going to be able to bring uh, the right fight out of Cody. Um, I would lean to him uh, earlier on as a value side at like plus 135, but I can't bet him here at this pick and price or plus 115, I should say. So I'll look for a live opportunity because I do think Cody, whatever he has, he's going to show you in the first round for sure. And then you'll be able to get uh, probably a plus price on Kai Kaur France to come back in those last two. Uh, I believe a lot of the same things Ozzy does about Cody. Uh, I mean, if you look at this guy's early fights to the title, um, you can see that his entire career has been you know, overrated based on a really easy stretch of fights to get him to the title. Uh, a good matchup in Dominic Cruz. And there are still, you know, millions of fans out there that believe, oh, Cody Garbrandt was the best fighter ever for, for one night, the best fighter in the world for one night only. And then they make up all these excuses. What happened to him? <laughs> Nothing happened to him. He ran into to fighters who knew how to exploit his weaknesses. He wasn't able to learn from his his mistakes. And, you know, he still really hasn't learned from a lot of them, still hasn't fixed up a lot of those pocket bo uh, boxing issues. And now for a guy that's been knocked out several times at 135 is dropping down another 10 pounds. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal for him because he did weigh, um, you know, his his weight was posted when he fought TJ Dillashaw. He only weighed 141 pounds the day after uh, that he weighed in. So he's not Beautiful, gaining yeah. a lot of weight. Um, so he shouldn't be too, um, you know, depleted getting down to this weight class. I saw some pictures of him. He looks, you know, a lot leaner. So I think he's going to make the weight and be fine. It's just a matter of how his chin is going to react um, after those punches start landing. Um, never been, you know, at this weight class with those punches landing, or he hasn't been since probably his boxing days, you know, 10 years ago. And he was extremely fast at 135. Even if he wasn't, uh, you know, the more skilled fighter, he could still have a speed advantage over a lot of guys at 135. But now at 125, everybody's fast. Everyone's a good athlete. And he's going to be running into a bit of a wall um, with uh, Kai Kaur France's speed. And Kai Kaur France is just a well-rounded fighter. I think the guy really does everything well. Um, his defensive grappling isn't, you know, my favorite. Um, he definitely struggles with that. But Cody, not known for a top game, not known for, you know, a back take type of guy. He does have some wrestling. But I don't think he's going to have the top game to be able to, to hold Kai Kaur France down. So this is going to be a striking fight. And I, I like Kai Car France to uh, you know mix up with the light kicks, lance and boxing, uh, lance and boxing combinations in the pocket. And I just trust Kai Car France a lot more at this weight class. I got in a bet on France plus one fifty for one unit. I bet it like right after nice. uh, Jose, Jose Aldo won last week. And you know it's going down a little bit. So happy with with that bet. We're just gonna see where it goes with the. Uh, uh, you know, we got the CLV on this one. So uh, I like uh, Kaikar France to edge a decision here. Um, and, you know, I just think the market could still still be overrating Cody Garbrandt. Uh, after all these years, after several losses, I mean, he just lost 50-45 to Rob Font, And he's a favorite at a new weight class over a proven, solid, well-rounded fighter in Kaikar France. I think this is another example of Cody being, uh, you know, overrated by the market. One thing, the last thing I'll mention before, that Ozzy mentioned, um, he is training in New Jersey with Mark Henry, and he's training at Sacramento. So whenever you see a fighter tr splitting their time between two places, you got to wonder, you know, who's going to be the head coach, who's going to be developing the game plan. You could kind of get a little bit lost in, in the mix of those two. Um, 
he could be he could be thinking he is his head coach. I know the game plan. I'll, I'll figure it out for myself. But you really need a head coach who who can really ground you and, and really um, dictate where your training camp goes. That's that's what I'll say about that. So I like Kai Car France here. Next fight, welterweight division. Uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio as the favorite, minus one thirty. Jeff Neal coming back plus one ten. Uh, Santiago getting some action this week. This fight was a pick'em last week. Obviously, the news around uh, Jeff Neal with the DUI came out. It was on Thanksgiving. He allegedly had you know a few drinks, was driving home from his girlfriend's house, got pulled over, and said that he was you know barely barely over the limit. So I don't think it's something to really put a whole lot of stock in. Um, you know, it's a holiday in America, you know, having a few drinks before driving home. I think you can do that two weeks before a fight and, and still be okay. Um, but I think the more so concerning thing with Jeff Neal would be his, his two most recent fights. I mean, the Wonder Boy fight, <laughs> <For isn't, sure. laughs> the, the Wonder Boy fight isn't exactly a, a, an awful sign because it's just a tough stylistic matchup. I think the Magni fight is a fight that he really, he really fucked up. A fight that he could have won. He he had advantages to win that fight, and his his IQ, his decision making was was what lost him that fight. Um, what what everybody does against Neil Magni is that they get too close. They initiate, they clinch, they attempt their takedowns, and that's exactly what Neil Magni wants. And as a coach, as a fighter, you have to fucking know that. I mean, it, it, everybody does it against Neil Magni, and. Jeff Neal was just unable to maintain distance in that fight. He would throw a few combinations, he would throw a few strikes in combination, and he would just end up too close to Magny. Magny would tie him up, he'd get him in the clinch, he'd push him against the cage. And every time Jeff Neal was having some success at distance, throwing his southpaw combinations, the he would get too close, Magny would tie him up, and then Magny gets the fight into his range. It just showed a real lack of of preparation and IQ from Jeff Neal. And I think Jeff Neal's just been kind of uh you know, he's he had a really good run early on in his career, was knocking guys out. And I think that, that Fortis MMA has kind of stalled his development ever since then. He hasn't really gotten much better since then. Uh, he hasn't really adapted to fighting at the higher level of competition. And um, I don't really trust the guy's output. I don't trust his cardio. He had some health issues last year, right, with like some liver problem or something. And it seemed, Yeah, there you go. And it seemed like... Um, he didn't really trust his output too much throughout the Neil Magny fight, but he he didn't have 15 minutes worth of striking cardio. Meanwhile, Ponzinibbio just went a full 15 hard minutes against Baeza, high action, back and forth striking fight, took a lot of damage to his leg, kept fighting. It showed that Santiago Ponzinibbio is still the high level fighter he was in 2018 before that long layoff. Um, had that small hiccup versus Jing Liang, but the the guy is still an incredibly skilled fighter. Just look at the difference in their in their Neil Magny fights. Ponzinibbio destroyed Magny, smashed his calf, jabbed him to pieces, knocked him out without much trouble. Jeff Neal, very close decision that he that he lost. Uh, even if he did have a good argument that he won that fight, so I like Ponzinibbio here. Uh, I think the line where it's at now is more accurate. And I, I like this one to go the distance, too. I think this one is, is going over. So over two and a half at plus money is not did, bad. Did you bet this one at all or, or not yet? No, no, nothing. No, else. nothing. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a very interesting fight for me. Just I've always, I mean, uh, I've always loved Jeff Neal. I always thought, man, this guy, uh, you know, the stuff that he does coming from that left side, left hand side is is pretty unique that, you know, when he is on, you know, some of those like the Nico Price fight and the uh, Mike Perry fight specifically, those were those are great performances by him. I, I, I love I'd love to see him, you know, get back to that. Um, but like you said, like that, that, that Neil Magny fight. 
he definitely didn't have it. You know, I thought he had an okay first round. And then after that, he was just getting stifled. And I think he got frustrated a bit. Um, one thing I did notice that he that he mentioned that I think is worthy of, of bringing up is he did say, hey, man, like, I, to be honest, like, I'm not trying to make excuses, but I don't, I didn't really enjoy fighting in the apex. Like, I, I think he's a guy who maybe feeds off the energy. And I think that's a legitimate thing overall. Um, obviously, that's something very anecdotal uh, and, and ver- a very small thing. But uh, but I think it, it was interesting because I did kind of see that he didn't really have that fire there. Um, now, Ponznevi on the other side, you know, we liked him, I think, a lot against Baeza. Um, that was an uh, awesome fight there. But, you know, some of the stuff that I saw from Ponznevio, yes, he overcame adversity. He's getting his leg chopped up. He, um, you know, he was uh, eating some big punches and then, you know, was able to build back, start landing that on his own leg kick, you know, keep his jab going, which is he's got a great jab and uh, and a, and uses it right you know as good as a tool is it's it's only uh extend like you you can only if you throw it out uh more uh that you know he kind of builds his game off that that jab is what i'm trying to uh, get to. yeah like jeff um, neal's got a good left kick but yeah. he throws it once around or twice yeah around, exactly you know? so so i think that that allowed him to build back into that fight you know Baeza wasn't really able to to parry it that much but now here he is going against the southpaw which uh if you look back uh historically i think he he fought zach cummings i think uh, a southpaw but other than that you know not too many guys um but you know, I kind of lean a little bit to the Jeff Neal side. I th- like, like, and this is that, this is a lot of speculation there. But j- I just feel like some of the, the reactions to to the shots that uh, Baeza was throwing out, I didn't like from uh, Santiago. I think that. Uh, Neil is a different level of striker than even Baeza is. Baeza kind of, he's mostly leg kick uh, based. A lot of those punches that he throws are a little bit more like looping and, you know, and wh- whereas Jeff Neil is a lot more direct to the target. Santiago has that kind of like, not Dominic Cruz style of striking, but he's kind of like bouncing back and forth in and out. And I think that he's going to be met with some some big left hands, especially in the first round from Jeff Neal. Uh, the, the fight is his favorite to go under. And although, uh, you know, I think we were mentioning a bunch of stuff, Jeff Neal is super durable, man. Like this guy, uh, you saw that fight against uh, um, Wonder Boy. He was taking all those shots uh, pretty easily. And you know, the only time I've ever really seen him hurt, um, apart from the Holland knockout, is when he ate like a headbutt from Nico Price. So I think if Jeff Neal, if he is back, you know, if he did take some time off, which he, uh, he said he did uh, after the Neal fight, if he is back to the old Jeff Neal, I think that he's he's a he's a good play here at plus one ten over Santiago. But you know, it's it's a hard. I'm not making that bet yet. It's a hard pick for me to make as well because I am a big fan of Santiago. But just some of the reactions that I saw uh, from him, I think he's going to be open on that left hand side for Jeff Neal to land uh, often. I think Jeff Neal should be able to neutralize that jab a little bit with uh, his pivots, his footwork, and the way that he he uh, enters and gets out of the pocket. But I think it's going to be a close fight overall. I wouldn't be surprised that it'd be in a close decision, uh, like you were mentioning that uh, goes a distance prop, which you know I. I I, I don't love betting that here because I do think Jeff Neal could put uh, Santiago out. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this is a fight that I'm very much looking forward to. I hope that Jeff Neal looks uh, a lot better here. Um, and if it keeps going, you know, if it, if we get to like plus 120, plus 125, I think I'll definitely have to, uh, you know, come in here on Jeff Neal, uh, unfortunately, which, you know, because I love Santiago. But I do think that he, some of the stuff, even though he had a good performance against Baeza, Baeza is not a top-level uh, uh, welterweight, and I think Jeff Neal has the potential uh, to be one. So, Yeah, a few f- closing thoughts. I'll say that Ponzinibbio versus Baeza is the best fight all year, my favorite yeah. fight. Um, the over one and a half here is minus 160. 
That's like an all over that's available on some books like DraftKings minus one sixty for this over. I mean, that's, I, just, I don't really, I don't see Ponzinibbio finishing Neil. Do you? I don't see that, man. Like, I don't. I'd be surprised. I, I don't think either is because so, Baeza took a lot of shots from Ponzinibbio. I don't think he's got that same punch. In, but even like, I mean, look at all his fights. Like even the Gunnar Nelson KO is like after like a, a little finger to the eye. He doesn't knock guys out. No, yeah, you're right. I don't, he's not. He's not looking for that as an objective. He's more of a, a jab and a leg kick kind of guy. But the one thing about Neil is, I, I don't think that he, you know, cuts off the cage too well. Um, so I don't think that he's going to be knocking him out either. Like when he landed a few punches on Magny, he would let Magny, you know, retreat a little bit, reset mm-hmm. the combination, and then then he doesn't really build on that offense too much. You know what I mean? Right. right. But I so, think also with that southpaw stance, I think that leg kick for Santiago would not going to be there as much. So it's, not, it's a it's very not. interesting fight. I like this fight. I like plus, plus one fifty. I think I think I'll probably end up one unit on that because this fight ending by finish sixty seven percent of the time. That that's not right. Um. But really fun fight. Moving along to the co-main event, uh, we have Amanda Nunez taking on Juliana Pena, women's 135. Um, obviously, Nunez, the favorite, minus 1,000 here, Pena, plus uh, 600. It's um, my turn, right? To start the, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this one off. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, uh, a fight that Juliana Pena has been clamoring for, which you don't see that much in the uh, in the women's division, uh, right? Where um, so, But this is a different fight coming in because, uh, you know, uh, Pena should be the girl that really does want to get in there, get grappling. Um, you know, her, her striking, though, is pretty robotic. But maybe this time in between, you know, to train for a specific opponent, uh, she's been able to improve a little bit. I know she's been training out in Chicago there where... Uh, she's been working with her, uh, her striking, which I think looked like it helped uh, Yair Rodriguez. I was actually impressed by the the striking improvements in the uh, in the boxing of Yair. And from what I understand, he did a lot of his training out in Chicago. So it's been, uh, I think, I guess, 10 months since we've seen Pena. feels a lot less time. But yeah, I liked her there against Sarah McMahon. But the thing is, with Juliana, she has just like so many lapses in judgment overall uh you know in fights like getting caught by a guillotine with by drain duran and me some of the grappling that happened in the nico montano fight the sarah mcmahon fight the arm bar against valentina um so i think the b- best lean here is if you like pena you know is instead of just only betting her money line maybe try to look at some of this over uh one and a half but Amanda Nunez looks like she's coming in for a kill. Like, I think Juliana Pena really pissed her off with all this talk. Um, but, you know, Amanda has not been down at 135 since when? Since uh, the Jim Rain random me fight, which is almost two, two, years. two years to the date. Yep. Uh, she needed to go to grappling in that fight. And I think that uh, as the fight goes on, she loses that power, some of the power that she has. So if she does not finish uh, Juliana Pena early and Pena is able to draw out offense from her and whether either absorb it or um somehow uh make it miss i think that um i'm not gonna say that amanda nunez is in big trouble but i think that juliana pena could potentially work her way back into the fight because uh, because i do think she's a better uh, and a stronger grappler than jermaine duran and me and felicia spencer um so you know, I mean, there's not a lot of fights left for Amanda Nunes, and I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to not 
<laughs> fade her, like have a, a money line taken when she does lose. So I'm considering this money line price on Pena a little bit, um, but maybe just looking uh, to have this fight go a little bit later on because even if uh, Juliana Pena does get grappling success going, whether it be in the first round or late, I think it's like she's not going to just finish Amanda super quickly. I think it could uh, turn into a little bit of a back and forth fight a bit. Um, so I kind of lean uh, for the fight to take place like that. Um, I, otherwise, like I can't really tell you too much about how Pena's striking is. And look, I mean, on the feet, Amanda Nunes, she's a freaking powerhouse. She hits harder than any woman that's probably walked that's uh, ever fought MMA. Um, so Julian Pena obviously doesn't want to be there. So she's gonna have to muck it up, get uh, Amanda Nunes tired a little bit, and then uh, hopefully look to land some takedowns. But uh, it's gonna be hard. <laughs> it's gonna be hard. So what do you think? Interesting. Uh, I was looking at DraftKings just now. They, for some reason, don't even have this fight listed on there. That's, that's weird. Mm, uh, maybe they know. Maybe they know something we don't. Um, that would that would be that would be cool if they just you know saved us all from this. Um, you know, honestly, it is an interesting fight to think about from the sense that um, Pena has lost fights before and come back and won. She lost, I think, round one versus uh, Zingano, round one versus Montano, uh, lost the first two rounds versus McMahon, arguably, and then came back and won. So, and did she one... win the first round against Valentina? I don't know how they scored that fight, but... I don't no, remember. well, she got submitted in round one, didn't she? I thought it was round two. I think, well, she took her down and was on her way to winning the round, I think, and then, right. I believe, uh, got caught in the armbar. Um, yeah, that so was in round two. So she, not sure. Oh, was really? Yeah. So she uh, she is somewhat, like, resilient. You know, she can, you know, withstand some adversity, come back and win. So um, that that is, you know, a good sign from what you want to see. I mean, if you were to build an opponent to, to beat Nunez, you probably would want an opponent that can withstand the early storm Nunez gas out uh, and then maybe her take over. If you remember Nunez's last fight at 135, she did seem to gas out in that fight. Yeah, I mean, it was the, wor the worst fight ever. Worst fight, arguably mm -hmm. the worst title fight ever. And, um, you know, Nunez, uh, what, what, like it was, um, Nunez. She was like, Nunes she, she wants to take that. Then, yeah. Yeah. Nunez won round one dominantly. Then all of a sudden, round two, I think Jermaine hit her with a punch and it kind of looked like Nunez was hurt. Then Nunez mm -hmm. hit a takedown. And then all, literally the last like 17 or 18 minutes was just all land prey. Um, Nunez had n no energy to go for a finish, no energy to advance, to land ground a pound. Nothing happened. Um, so it seems like her energy level at 145 is a lot, lot better. And she's willing to chase that finish like she did uh, versus Megan Anderson in round one because she trusts her cardio a little bit more. Now, not having cut the weight in two years, you know, COVID has happened. Uh, she's had a child. She's had a lot of change in her life. She's probably, you know, gotten used to her weight. And now she's having to cut this big chunk of weight down to 135. And that is something to consider here. Um, but Pena does struggle to put together a 15, a good 15 minutes. If she, she has come back and won some fights, but she was losing early. She has won some fights early and she goes on to lose them. Like the, uh, Jermaine Duranime fight, like the Shevchenko fight. So, I mean, the woman really struggles to put together the full 15 minutes. So, um, that's going to be difficult for her to overcome. And I was just watching the Sarah McMahon fight and round one, Sarah McMahon just bombs her with a straight right hand and Pena <laughs> doesn't see it coming at all. Um, and then McMahon hits easy takedowns and is just wiping her out from top position. So, I mean, I really do think Nunez is going to be able to, to land punches at will on the feet here. Um, and she's likely going to be able to take down Pena uh, and put her on the ground as well. But I think the grappling is probably a harder path for her. I think it opens up more possibilities for Pena to reverse and get in top position. So if I were Nunez, I would keep the fight standing. 
I would look to keep it entirely striking. And, you know, if the fight goes to the floor, she gets a knockdown, look to let her back up. Um, so I like the over one and a half here. I think Pena is tough enough to, to, you know, make it past that. Um, and, uh, it's sitting at, you know, minus 140. That's what I was looking at DraftKings for, trying to see what the odds were there. Because, uh, I mean, Nunez just, you know, finishing her immediately, I don't think is automatic here. Um, so I'll take over one and a half as my prediction. I'll go with the Nunez like round three sub as the official pick for whatever, for whatever it matters. Um, Enough about that fight. Moving on, main event. Uh, this is basically Anarum champ versus uh, undisputed champ. Uh, Poirier is the undisputed champ to me. Um, we got Dustin Poirier minus 150. Charles Oliveira plus 130. Elite level lightweight matchup here. And, and I'll start this one off. I definitely um, have been kind of going back and forth in this one all week. But I initially was leaning Poirier. I'm still leaning Poirier. But I, I have, you know, uncovered a lot more concerns as I've taped this. Um, I don't think you can be confident enough to bet Poirier here. I think that if you're betting a money line, it has to be Oliveira. Um, and, you know, as a Poirier fan, as a Poirier picker, I'm very aware of uh, how Oliveira can win this fight. So I'll start by talking about the striking between the two. I think that um, Poirier definitely the much more comfortable striker. Um, he's much more durable, more comfortable in the boxing combinations. Um, Oliveira has been steadily improving his striking. I think Oliveira is probably the better kicker of the two. You've seen Oliveira get a lot more comfortable over the years with his striking, but he's not proven to the point where he's going to be able to, you know, comfortably stand with Dustin Poirier. It takes uh, an extremely high level, durable striker to be able to stand with Poirier. And I don't think Oliveira is that. So Oliveira might have some brief success with those, you know, those front kicks, those jumping knees. Um, he really does mix up his, his arsenal well uh, with his strike selection. But, you know, anytime the fight is standing for more than 45, 60 seconds, you're going to see Oliver, uh, Poirier win the exchanges. You're going to start to see him land hard shots. And you saw Oliveira go down from just a few short punches from Michael Chandler in that round one there. So I think there is reason to, to believe that Oliveira does have a bit of a, a chin durability issue. And we could see, you know, him get knocked down from some punches here for sure. But obviously the X factor in this fight is Oliveira's grappling. Oliveira. Uh, an elite submission artist, uh, most submissions in UFC history. I think he's has also the most uh, different submissions in UFC history. I mean, the guys hit arm bars, guillotines, arm triangles, rear naked chokes, leg locks, knee bars, everything. Um, so it really depends on how urgently Oliveira is going to wrestle here because you got to think that Oliveira on top uh, has a, a good advantage. Obviously, he's going to be putting uh, Poirier in some bad positions, but what I look at uh, for this fight for Poirier is the Khabib fight. So Khabib, obviously, uh, a much more dedicated grappler. He's not one to keep the fight on the feet for long like Oliveira can at times. Um, and he put Poirier down in round one. He got him in some bad positions. But Poirier did survive some really bad spots versus Khabib. He was nearly mounted at one point. Uh, can you mute yourself, Ozzy, for a sec? Oh, sorry. Um, uh, he was nearly mounted by Khabib at one point. Um, he was able to stand up from some takedowns, was able to escape mount once or twice. Um, he was never able to separate from Khabib, which is, was his problem. Um, he was able to stand up from some positions, but Khabib just has that that insane grip on the body lock, and he just never lets go of you. Oliveira, once he gets that takedown of his, he really likes to go for the back take, and if he doesn't get the back take, he really doesn't control people that often. We saw him control um, Tony Ferguson from top position, from half uh, top half, from mount. But 
typically Oliveira's game is takedown, look for the back take. And if he doesn't get the back take, he he really doesn't solidify top position too often. We saw him um, go for the back take versus Chandler. He eventually lost it. We saw him take down David Tamer. He went for a back take. He wasn't able to get it. So he took down David Tamer in round one. And David Tamer, uh, you know, a Muay Thai-based fighter, was able to outscramble Oliveira one time and get back to the feet. So that, I think, is a good advantage for Poirier. If guys like Tamer are able to survive some takedowns to get back up to their feet without getting their back taken, that's a good sign for Dustin Poirier. Um, so one other thing I'll mention for Poirier is he's training a lot with Mateusz Gamrat. He's training with Mosvar Ivlev, training with some really high-level guys down at ATT. He's got some incredible training partners to prepare for this matchup um and the biggest concern i saw from uh, from poirier um was getting taken down by dan hooker in rounds three four and five got taken down in all three separate of those rounds uh by hooker there so you you the the general thinking is that poirier should have the cardio advantage right he has uh, been around five, four and five much more poirier or uh, Oliver has never been in rounds four and five and matt um Dustin Poirier has won decisions over Max Holloway. He's knocked out Gaethje in the fourth round. He's beat Dustin uh, Dan Hooker in the fourth and fifth round. So he definitely has more championship experience. He has that uh, that cardio advantage. But you got to think if Dan Hooker was able to get late takedowns on Dustin Poirier, then it's it's possible that Oliveira is able to get those late takedowns as well, which does make it very very close here. So. I have concerns for Poirier. I think he's going to get taken down. I think he's going to be put in some bad positions, but I, I trust him to survive those positions without getting submitted. And I think by round three, by round four, we're going to see the, the gas tank of Oliveira start to deplete. We're going to see Poirier be able to stuff those takedowns easier. And we're going to start to see the damage start to add up for Poirier. And we're likely going to see a finish in the third or fourth round here from Dustin Poirier. But I, I see some people like in the unders here. I don't know. I think what I saw in that Dan Hooker fight makes me think this fight actually could make it to the decision um, because rounds one and two of that fight were so high paced that Poirier was a little bit tired by rounds three and four and five, and he didn't have quite the the gas tank to go for that finish. Even though Dan Hooker was really tired and, and compromised in front of him, Poirier didn't go for that finish. So we could see something here, a crazy back and forth round in one and two, and then the pace really drops off and Poirier just kind of controls it for a decision uh, for three, four, and five. Um, so I like Poirier here. It was a bit of a long-winded analysis, but it's it's an elite level fight. It's number one versus number two. Uh, you know, talking about this fight for a long time is deserving. So I'm interested to hear my man Ozzy's thoughts on yeah, I love this fight here. Um, I think that, you know, how these guys are going to match up is, uh, you know, Oliveira definitely, uh, I feel still, uh, you know, right now is a bit undervalued. Um, you know, we're seeing some money come in on him here. Uh, I was on uh, Michael Chandler just because I thought the power of Chandler would would shine through. And, you know, it definitely was early on. Um, but Oliveira definitely impressed me there, you know, and, and he did dispel some of the, you know, the narrative that, uh, you know, he's like a one round guy or he's like a guy that if he starts smashing him, he's just going to give up. So he definitely got that monkey off his back a little bit, a little bit. But now he's uh, going up against one of the most, uh, you know, battle-tested guys through the crucible uh, of of the UFC lightweight division that there's ever been in Dustin Poirier. Now, just how I see the striking though uh, matchup, you know, I just don't think that Dustin Poirier is actually going to be landing as easily as a lot of people uh, feel uh, on Charles Oliveira. Just because I think Charles Oliveira, the 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 way that Dustin fights, is gonna allow for uh, uh, 
Oliveira to be a little bit more on the front foot, to be a little bit more uh, uh, attacking, whether it be with his kicks, his straight shots, or some of the, the cleaner boxing that he's shown. Obviously, Dustin is is a master uh, defensively. He 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 rolls with shots really well. He's able to turn his shoulders to deflect strikes, you know, as they're coming in. And he 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 is once he gets like your patterns down, he is a, a very uh, cerebral fighter that he can adjust uh, very well on the fly. But like you said, uh, you know that Dan Hooker, those Dan Hooker takedowns, very concerning. And this is what I'm saying is, I think. Uh, Oliveira is going to be able to back up Dustin and one, if he is backing Dustin up I think a takedown should come rather easily for him and then from there it's it's a real crapshoot to see if Dustin is going to be able to survive uh, down there I think that Oliveira is deceptively strong on top as well especially if he could get to that back position I think that is going to be bad news for Dustin potentially and yeah I just think that uh, early on uh, Oliveira has success uh, in whether it be grappling or striking. I do think he's going to get this fight to the ground at some point, and we're going to see if uh, Dustin can Dustin can hit some of these uh, escapes and maneuvers that I'm sure he is drilling, you know, a lot. Um, but I just think that Dustin makes uh, makes some mistakes in there uh, more often than a lot of these other top top level guys that uh, you really can't make with uh, with Charles Oliveira. Michael Chandler was able to get out of that first back take against them, but that guy, I think he is uh, he has a little bit of a different grappling based game, and I think he's a little bit more comfortable uh, giving up the back position b- positions and stuff like that. So I think basically uh, uh, Oliveira is going to be winning the fight early on. So I think that that it's a plus EV play. To, to back him uh, and, and I think people are snapping that value up I don't know I mean I, at plus 130 it feels bad for me to you know get involved now I was hoping that more books would be at uh, north of plus 150 um, and but yeah I think that overall how the fight plays out uh, Dustin is going to have to build up a little bit more uh, later on I think uh, when they're at range and boxing Dustin has shown to be a lot more patient uh, as of late um, so I'm very interested to see what his approach is going to be because if he's slinging combos, you know, uh, these long combination, which he's known for and he, he enjoys doing, uh, is going to open up the route for that takedown. And you saw that double leg that he shot on Michael Chandler. That looked pretty good. And uh, Oliveira has uh, body lock uh, takedowns as well. Uh, he's got a pretty good kick game, uh, which we've seen Dustin at times uh, struggle with. Uh, obviously, the last two McGregor fights. He did. Uh, he did well to to kick on his uh, in his own right as well as check a few kicks. Um, but I, uh, I, you've seen in a number of uh, Dustin's fights, he goes to the grappling. He looks for some, you know, for takedowns in there. Uh, so I think his physicality is going to have to shine in the defensive grappling, and I think that uh, on the feet, he's going to have to be way more selective than he is uh, than he, he has tended to be. Uh, so I kind of like Oliveira here at this uh, plus number. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to seeing this continue to nosedive overall um but you know i know i do know people that love dustin poirier and feel he's the uncrowned champ and all these things considered and then just one other thing second you know third fight this year for dustin poirier third championship uh championship you know kind of level fight you know five rounder so he's he's been grinding this year i thought that he would uh, this fight would take place early next year but he wanted to get in there again uh before the year is over and i don't know if that's the best approach for him because olivera has been preparing for dustin for for a while like i olivera and I think was uh, 
expecting Dustin to, to come out the victor over uh, Connor. And I think he's ready for this opportunity. I think he's got the, you know, the, the weight of Brazil on his back, uh, but, you know, propelling him forward. And uh, I'll pick him here to, to, to keep the lightweight belt. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to seeing these guys fight on more than one occasion, though. And uh, any uh, any props interesting you on this one? Um, I, I I side with you in the thinking that you know the people that are uh, looking at this under it's I don't know if it's a, a a great angle just because Oliveira elite level weasel. I mean, did you see that guy on after he got dropped by Michael Chandler that stuff that he was doing on bottom like on his weasel. knees? Yeah, that's 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 insane. So I don't think he's going away easily. Um, you know, obviously if you're betting Oliveira, you gotta have have a, a shot on that uh, plus three hundred uh submission prop, right? You know, you 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 don't often see it at that price and you know 25 percent to submit dustin poirier a guy who he'll go for a guillotine himself and you know Oliveira is always looking to rack up those submissions and add on to his uh to his record of uh, that he has in the ufc division so yeah i would i, I would think you if you like Oliveira, you split a little bit between itd uh submission and uh a little more on submission and money line as well but uh but yeah that that would be it for me i think the this fight uh, I couldn't play the over or the under here because uh, I just think there's it, it's high variant. Any Charles Oliveira fight is very high variance, and uh, because Dustin could could catch a knockout early, or you know do the the, the normal song and dance that uh, that Dustin Poirier fights are, uh, it could go late as well. So I think you're setting yourself up for probably pain if uh, if you invest too heavily in the under. Yeah, you mentioned the jumping guillotines. I mean, Dustin really has got to stop doing that. I mean, the <laughs> fact the fact that he did that versus Khabib, I think that he he prepared well for the Khabib fight. He just really felt the pressure of you know being in Abu Dhabi, felt the heat, felt the Khabib fans, and and made a lot of mental mistakes in there. But I think he's really grown from that. I think he's you know gotten used to that big fight feel over the past few fights, and I think he's going to be a little bit better better prepared to make the right in fight decisions to defend. I don't the know if here. you if you see his that those uh, embeddeds or whatever and countdowns, he's training that he's locking up anaconda choke after anaconda choke. So I don't well, know. I mean, Pettis <laughs> Pettis did submit this uh, did submit Oliveira, and uh, I mean Oliveira getting those subs on on Felder and not finishing. I mean, it's still like a mystery to this day how he kind I of. I think if he gets if he gets Dustin in those spots, I think it is is a wrap. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm in the mind that if you like Oliveira, I think he's going to be finishing in one, two, or three here. So, uh, um, DraftKings has these props. Um, Oliveira mm -hmm. to win and under. It's like a parlay. Uh, Oliveira mm -hmm. to win and under three and a half at plus two forty. I think that's a little bit better way to play him, um, because I would think if it gets into the the fourth and fifth round, it really does favor um, Poirier. At that plus point. two so, what? Plus two what? Plus two forty for Oliveira to win and under three and a half rounds. So why wouldn't you just play Oliveira ITD? Is like the same thing. What is what is that? It's what like two ten, two hundred, two ten. Yeah, but I mean, the chance he finishes in four or five, I mean, I mean, I guess it, it's it seems extremely low. Yeah, plus two fifteen, that probably would be better. Um, extre extremely amazing fight though, and I can't wait for this one. Should um, be a good one. Know, I'm I'm a little worried as a Dustin Poirier fan. Gotta gotta admit. Um, so that's gonna do it for this podcast. We're chop. We're gonna end this one right now because it's been an hour and forty five minutes. But um, like I said, we had uh, I claim well. Well, we won't say O'Malley is elite, but besides that, we have five elite fights in this card uh, with Munoz, Cruz, Emmett, Ige, Kaikara, France, Cody, Jeff, and Ponzinibbio in the main event. So we had some amazing fights. We had to talk about them for a long time. So 
Um, thank you all for listening. We will see you all before the, the next and final UFC card of 2021. And I uh, hope you all win some money on these pay-per-view fights. Peace out, fellas. Later.